you have your own God And you'll meet someday There's a journey to take And some strength to find But whose love will you miss? That's just a little bit of a new song that has just been released called Whose. And it features Sean B.W. Parker, who happens to be my guest today. And in addition to that song just sounding great, what makes it remarkable is that Sean is a stutterer. Um, And as many of you might know, if you remember Mel Tillis, folks that stutter often don't when they sing. The stutter goes away. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, Sean also has just published his eighth book, called Compelling Speech, The Stammering Enigma. And we're going to talk a little bit about how creativity is a source of resilience and nurture for those who stutter. So help me welcome Sean B.W. Parker. Sean, thank you so much for joining me on your Daily Chocolate. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Yeah. And you're joining us from across the pond. Yeah, that's right. I'm in England, on the south coast of England, in the Worthing in Sussex. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I've actually had a few people as guests from England, so I like to think of us as global now. I love it. So, Sean, let's start a little bit. You have grown up as somebody who has a stutter or stammer, and can you tell us just a little bit about what causes that and what's the difference between stuttering and stammering? Sure thing, yes. The only actual kind of difference between the words is English and the British English and the North American English. In North America, it's stutter, and in England, it's stammer. So it's oh. really that simple with that part of it. Okay. The speech therapist community are always debating it because it's their bread and butter of the place where it comes from. and it's. But they've come to an agreement that it's like 50-50 genetics and upbringing. So with the nature and nurture, they've pretty much agreed 50-50 on it, though this sort of theoretician says this much, this theoretician says that much. And I add into this <laughs> as a as a service user, but it, or just a writer, I'm not a speech therapist, but I know what they do and I know what they write about, is cosmology. I add that into it, which is the person that you are, your soul. We come from the stars as well as from genetics and nurture, if you think some things. And I like all that. We do also come from stars. And the third of you that is indefinable by in earthly form, it definitely goes in, into your communication issues as well. So I'm happy to put a third of cosmology into the nature and nurture debate, if you know what I mean. Interesting. So, I mean, when you say the nurture part, is that uh, when you have a parent who, who is demanding and the stress causes stuttering, or what part of the nurture comes into play? It's If a person has a genetic disposition to stammer, stutter in their family, then the nurture will then exacerbate that if if the domestic situation is very chatty and if the person stammers themselves is quite sort of introverted or just into their own space, then they're not going to be encouraged and they're not going to want to particularly chip in. This is what happened with me anyway, and it happens with lots of other stammerers I know. Um, You just go, well, 
I'm not going to bother stammering then and I'll develop my own internal world, um, which is also fine. It's just society is more keen. And as, as you grow, you start to realize the importance, of course, of speaking. And you can get by as I do. It's just, it's always there. And it's a thing that is often people scurry away from it because it's embarrassing or they see it as weak. Yeah. Kind of human emancipation demands you go away from that kind of hiding, doesn't it? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you're a kid and you have a stutter or stammer and other kids are teasing you, does that just, does that exacerbate it even more or does that just make you quiet? <laughs> yeah, you, you sort of, I mean, I went to a school in South Wales and uh, we were just discussing Edinburgh beforehand uh -huh. and uh, South Wales is equally, let's say, hostile to English people, not in a particularly political way or in a terribly violent way, like some other countries historically, but it's, it doesn't like English people. And I kind of went there with our father, who, because my, because our parents split up, so he took us to Wales. And in right. Wales, you basically had a really hard time at school, firstly, because of being English, which is the main problem, yeah. but secondly, also being a stammer. So I'd get called P -P 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 Barker, which is a riff off an advert here, which is for P -P -P Penguin Chocolate Bar. So that's really? what they did as a young boy. So to counter that, I got good at kind of playing rugby, which is a necessity for the young man, but the young kind of kind of men in the South Wales who want to get on. So I became good at the rugby to counter all that. I love it. Well, you don't have to talk in rugby, right? So it's your athletic That's right. prowess. That's yeah. That's correct. Yeah, it just catch the ball and don't fall over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in, in your studying of this, how does it usually impact somebody's life? Well, it's as a young boy, I say boy because sort of three quarters tend to be male oh. and a quarter aren't. Yeah, but that's often thought by the speech therapists again, that is because cause the women are better so socialized to hide the stammer. So that's being explored as we speak. But talking from the, from the male perspective, as I must, between sort of five and 14, it's irrelevant. You're oblivious to it. You're just a person talking in their own blah, 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 way, and it doesn't matter, but you can see some concern on your parents' faces <laughs> where they're going, we need to sort this out sort of thing. And you're like, I wonder what they're worrying about. They're quite stubborn as well. So, I mean, those kind of actually helps and hinders to an equal extent. Then when you become an adolescent and aware of your body and other people and how you seem in the world, it, then it becomes an issue. And yeah. as everything does in adolescence, and this is just the ones and it gets worse and worse because, not that I want to put to put the wind up your listeners, but because that adolescent is in a very fragile state already, mm -hmm. this just obviously doesn't help. So in school, if your turn is coming to read, that that was an issue because I'm in love with the English language. I'm a writer, poet, that kind of thing, as my parents are were. So when it comes to your time to read, that's your time to shine, right? To read that bit of Orwell right. in class. Yeah. And then when you're stuttering on every third word, you're like, well, I seem to have met a block in my life yeah. and that lingered for years. Gosh. So what is somebody like me do to help a stutterer or should you? I mean, I'm thinking now of, I had friends growing up who had stutters and I tend to want to help them finish their sentence. Is that a good thing to do or do you let the person speak in their own <laughs> rhythm? This is enormously controversial within the community right. because... Because kind of personally, I enjoy people finishing my sentences because it indicates intimacy, relaxation, openness. That's no problem for me. However, there are loads of 
people who stammer, who hate it, and they talk about it online because they're much more sensitive, basically, as a person, not as a stammerer. And basically being 48 now, just last week, I don't really Happy ascribe... Birthday. Thank you, thank you for it. I don't really ascribe to the oversensitivity-nizing of culture that we're doing. I talk about that in my new book, <laughs> The Compelling Speech, quite a lot. It's pretty much about this. It's a generational difference in disability. There's a stammer is a disability, but it comes and goes, and you can work on it. So it's kind of controversial. And if you tell people you've got a disability because of it, they often just deny that. Say, that's not a disability. But, well, actually, it is, because I haven't got jobs because of it. So oh. it's one of those ongoing debates. Not sure if that answered what you were asking, but I tried. Uh, well, I mean, you did in a way. For you, yeah. it helps to have somebody finish your sentences. But yeah. I didn't realize that it would be actually considered a disability. I think of it maybe as a different speech pattern, but mm. is it actually a, a disability? Well, I am literally two-minded on it. I really don't know. I don't have a stance. But Stammer, for example, who are the British Association of Stammerings and they're okay. lovely people, their thing is a bit more along the stammering pride axis, which means basically you self-identify as being disabled if you feel that. But my point on that is that sometimes it disables me and sometimes it doesn't. Um, the point, the amount of which it doesn't depends on the work I do and the mood I'm in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's endlessly, it's out of my control. I'm having a nice time with you today and it's pretty cool. And yeah. it usually would be like that. It's not really about the stress of the situation for me. But the problem here, every stammer is different. And in response to what you said, so, said, said earlier, I just remembered now how should we handle people, if the neurotypical, we call it, just being fluent. The best way to handle it, I suppose, is to check if the person does care about it that much. So, Sean, a lot of people might know, like the singer Mel Tillis, right? Famous country singer, who I don't know if over there in England, but even recently on America's Got Talent, there was a young girl, and he said mainly men that are afflicted, but there was a young girl who had such a terrible stutter, she couldn't get out her first name when they said, tell okay. us your name. And she had these long pauses and it wasn't so much a stutter as she could not speak it. And she eventually came out with it. So, and you're a singer. Why can you mm. sing without stuttering? It's a endlessly wonderful bizarreness of humanity, this one. It's to, thank you so much well, that reference, I hadn't heard of this person, probably because because of the marketing situation between our countries. So yeah. I'll have a look, <laughs> up, look forward to hearing her. Mr. Gareth Gates was our example here about 20 years ago on a similar kind of show, Pop Idol, I think it was. And okay. he won. Uh, did he win or did he come second? He came second. He also had a very intense stammer and he couldn't get his kind of, kind of words out on the chat shows that they're required to do. Yeah. And the country observed, fascinated, by this very handsome a young man with the voice of an angel and he would sing and it goes and he's just singing. Right. And uh, this is because you think out of a different part of your brain when you speak and when you sing. So if I start to go there, then that overrides any cognition that you think about when you're having a normal conversation like we are, which is information based. But when you go to sing, you go to a different kind of sort of tonality. And uh, this comes to the right and left part of the brain thinking, okay. which is, that's another obviously controversial topic, but I think it's almost blatant, especially with stammering, in that the 
the information sort of processing part of the left brain, keeping things straight and sensible, is being interfered with by the right brain saying, I don't want any more of that serious stuff. I'm going to interfere with you. And uh, stammerers, I think, are talking much more, more down the middle. And those things are getting confused, basically. And that then affects the speech kind of for muscles. But because the whole thing is so real time and so existential, the studying it is hard. And even having complete consciousness of what you're doing, as I do, as you can tell, doesn't stop it. It has its right. own consciousness. And right. the stammer, what I call about it in the book is the black dog has its own personality. It's not even all completely negative. With Mr. Gareth Gates there and Meg Tillis, it will be making them a better singer because you get your stuff out. And I'm a very productive writer, probably because of the stammer. <laughs> and that's about kind of t- turning a difficulty into a positive. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned I had a friend who stuttered growing up and actually met a fellow professionally who had a stutter. And he was getting some sort of ear implant that echoes mm. to his family. It was very controversial because his mom said that stutter is who you are. And to mm-hmm. him, who was trying to go into business and wanted to be taken professionally, he wanted to correct it. So he did go through with the implant and now speaks perfectly well with without a stutter. Right. Are there other treatments out there or, or beliefs about how to correct a stutter? Or I mean, this was probably 15 years ago, so I imagine technology has, has advanced, but what's going on now? That's a really interesting part of things, and I love it as well, where these implants or these things that you have behind the ear, like a hearing aid too. Yeah. So basically it's kind of creating a feedback loop where your anticipation that I talked about, subconscious anticipation of speech is interrupted by it in the real time. And I'll tell you what, this is fascinating for me because I've only discovered in the last year, but what we're doing now, we're talking on Zoom and I can see myself talking and that it has a fluencing effect. It's, I don't know why, but it's the fact that I can look at you and my mouth at the same time takes away the cognition of what I, basically the stammerer thinks too fast and too much in, in advance, but they don't know they're doing it. And But when we're in the real time like this, existential, it really is a zapper. And the thing behind the ear and the implant is a zapper too. And uh, that guy's story, that businessman's story sp- speaks to the fact that the stammer isn't actually who you are. It's like a, it's a fossil in the back of your tongue and in the middle of your brain there that I mentioned, just like there, kind of irritatingly niggling as the small child coming out in your speech. And it's irritating. So if he wants to get rid of it, good for him. And if he wants to accept it, good for him too. And as Stammer talk about. So it, it's a very subjective thing and we all handle it our own way, like you do everything. Yeah. And it's difficult to get a party line. But I think it's because it's considered such a soft disability, it has such a lot of public support. We do actually see that in the King's Speech and other things. So, it, oh I, yeah, I, I forgot about it, that movie. Yeah, right. And what, what wonderful film! And the fact is that it doesn't have the same kind of intense controversy around it that other disabilities can. And that's what I was trying to say earlier. If you want to help people understand to kids or other families, just attempt to get them to understand it as a limp. And that's why, that's how I try to explain it. We've got a limp in the tongue. Yeah. If a person kind of had a limp because they got polio, you sort of go, well, 
that happened when he was young and he's still got it now. That's kind of what a stammer is. It's just, it comes and goes, but a limp comes and goes too. So I think that's the best way of picturing it. But for some of us, it's not an emotional thing. Like with me, it's not an emotional thing to the point I can come and talk to you, but to many it is. And to kids, even more so when they're adolescent, struggling with it. Yeah. So you also talk about the link between stammering and creativity. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I was living in Istanbul in 2013. I'd been a teacher there for nine years and an English and cultural studies teacher. So with that process, of course, I'd almost mastered it as your businessman friend had. We shouldn't really say mastered, it's naughty, but the fact is that it had gone into the background completely. So because the production of language, which when you teach English, you slow down, you clear it, especially in a second language. You, I was in Turkey. You clear everything up. You make sure it's intelligible. It's a process of dissection, which leads to, I suppose, the speech I have now. Because at 29, I could also barely get my first name out, which I'd already changed when I was 20 that I could. I'm actually called Ben, but I added Sean because I could say Sean easier then. Really? So, but then it's, yeah, stuck with Deed Paul, and it's Sean Ben. <laughs> I could say Ben easier now. So yeah, and that's what I did then. And so when, after all that English teaching, at the end of my time in Istanbul, I'd been there for 10 years, it was time to come home, but I was asked to give a TED talk. So I'm like, oh, TED, what shall I do? What do I really know about? What do I care about? I'm stammering and creativity. I'm those two things. I'm a stammerer and a creative guy. I paint and I write books and yeah, things. And sing. So, yeah. And sing in the heat. Yes, exactly. So I thought I'm going to stammer in this talk and it's there <laughs> online, stammering and creativity. I'm going to stammer. So much less, but I stammer now much kind of less than I did on that, as your listeners will see if they go to it. But I talked about the left, right brain and the process of creativity within that, because when I'm painting or singing, as we've mentioned, you're in a different zone of communication where the structure of words aren't something. So you're just going with what they are at that moment. And that's the place where creativity comes from. Yes, the hands are involved, but there's a connection between the brain and the hand, the brain and the tongue. So I attempted to get all this into a TED Talk to kind of communicate that to the audience, to communicate as much as we can about this thing that's happening, which the neurotypical can't understand. And in my most most easy, relaxed moments, I'm fluent. But by the way, Patty, I don't actually feel massively joyful when I'm particularly fluent. It can be nice and much less stressful, but it's not like, oh my goodness, I'm having a religious experience. It's just I'm <laughs> happening to be talking a bit more fluent, that's all. So there isn't this massive jolt of like in the King's speech, he's suddenly fl- right, becomes yeah. fluent. It's much more steady than that. And it's a growing process, not a stiff edge, basically. Are stammerers or stutterers more creative because that side of the brain that stutters kind of stops them a little bit. And so they use the other side of the brain or... I reckon, I reckon there's a brilliant PhD study in that question that you've asked. I think, I think if there's anyone listening, that is totally what we need is the data. Does that stammerer consider themselves more creative? What have they done? Yeah. All those things. And we'll see, because I reckon the answer is going to be yes. Uh, that we compensate. We, that's the community I'm happy to go for. We do compensate yeah. these things with other directions a lot of the time. There are lots of kind of engineers. Uh, there are all kinds of different dis- disciplines going on too. So we can't be that specific, but I've met many who are 
art classes and the, the, the I've done a few kind of of the lectures in various British universities and things about stammering creativity. And these artists tend to come in there and to talk about what I've been talking about. But we don't have any stats because we don't have any data. So that's a PhD to be done, I reckon. I, I maybe, think maybe we can into- get like a an international government grant. We can study it yeah. in the UK and the US and then we'll be able to work together. <laughs> I reckon that's a brilliant idea. I fully support this. There, there's money there. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, these things of the brain are vital yeah. and fascinating. And they've got all, all, all of the scans that they have to support what I'm talking with, with the left and right. But there's also other areas of the brain that deal with speech. So you get people on Twitter come in and say, oh, but there's the... Blah, blah. You're like, yes, there is that too. But <laughs> all the pictures they've got have all of the... Flashing lights when you're stammering and when you're fluent, going more busy. Yeah. They work with that. And then the creativity tends to come from there and all these other things. But it, there's definitely a book, which this book of mine, Compelling Speech, goes towards that, but it's a bit more about culture. But those stats, I'd be fascinated to read them too. Yeah. Because there's a good side to everything, isn't there? Basically. That's what I like to see. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what the podcast exactly. is all about, right? Exactly. It's a positive... Exactly. Besides that, so you mentioned your book. It's called Compelling Speech, and we'll put a note in the show notes so that people can mm. find that, as well as your music. And before I let you go, Sean, I always like to finish with some rapid fire questions. So, mm. you ready? Scary. Yeah. <laughs> your favorite rugby team? Oh, my Lord. Neath, which is a town in South Wales where they have all black in their uniform. Never seen them, but they just have a great kit. So, that's why I chose them. Okay. You've received a number of awards. Which one means the most to you? Oh, I got a Kutzler Arts Award in 2020 for a play I wrote called The Wolfstadt Wire, which is about a prisoner and his kind of young prison friend and their prison facilitator, who the younger friend falls in love with, and the older one is trying to understand them. And it got a platinum award from them. So I'm very proud of that. I've got another play in the process at the moment, though, which is another story. So that, well, that part of life's all going quite nicely. <laughs> Thank you for that question. Yeah. We've mentioned a couple of times that you sing. Is there somebody that you would want to collaborate with on a song? <laughs> They're all dead. The Bowie, oh, no. No, no, not really. Of the ones living, Kate Bush. What, what a joy that would be. Fantastic. And I think a countryman of yours, Mr. Neil Young, I think he uh, might be past it, but that would be something, wouldn't it? That would be amazing. I could see your voices melding very well there. Oh, wow. Okay, wow. so if, if we were to do a movie about you, who would play you? <laughs> My absolute favorite actor, to be, but I don't consider this answer controversial. And I hope you don't. <laughs> Mr. Kevin Spacey is my favorite actor of all time. And I think he's really? wonderful. I would have absolutely no objections to that man uh, <laughs> playing me. If not, Anthony Hopkins, but he's oh. as old, old Zeus now. So I don't think that would be quite appropriate yet. But either well, of those two due to me. <laughs> he would have to play you in the future, right? Yes. In the future version. Yeah. If I don't <laughs> put cocky in the next six months. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. And because this is called your daily chocolate, what is your favorite chocolate? What's my favorite? I think we've got some different b- b- the brands over here. You, know? you do. Um, we do, but you're probably aware of them, aren't you? What a question. Why didn't I think about this one earlier? <laughs> my favorite brand of ch- the one I eat the most is probably a Cadbury's cream egg. And since Easter is not so 
So uh, let's go for Cadbury's cream egg. They're absolutely delicious. Can't Although do, uh, I, it's a I British have, classic. Yeah, I have heard that Cadbury's in England is different than Cadbury's in the US. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. So you like the British the controversy for the US. I know. I know. I didn't know that. I'll be checking that out on Google afterwards and fact checking yeah. you. Yeah, and make sure you don't eat the, well, I shouldn't say don't eat the Cadbury's in England and in the U.S. Because I hear it's more sugar or, I don't know. But really? Yes. One of my one of my guests was very adamant that Cadbury's British is the only stuff that he'll eat. So, anyway. Good heavens. No, I, know. I, I didn't need quite such a hot topic. <laughs> well, Sean, thank you so much for, for joining me on your daily chocolate. Like I said, we'll put all these links in the show notes so people can find you and I really, I wish you all the best. Well, it's been an absolute treat. Thank you, Patty. It's gorgeous weather here and uh, it's been a really n- nice thing to do. So thank you for making my Friday. Yes, <laughs> you are welcome. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I sure enjoyed getting to know Sean. As always, if you enjoyed this, share it with a friend. Let's make people smile and feel good. I'm always open to your reviews and comments. And be sure to join us next week. It's going to be fun. I've got Carissa Montooth. Carissa's a love coach. And we'll talk a little bit about Meet a Mate Week, which isn't exactly what you think. But come back and join us. 